Debate has continued over the most appropriate and effective way for investigators to share data from clinical trials. To advance that conversation, the New England Journal of Medicine sponsored the Sprint Data Analysis Challenge, inviting individuals and groups to use data from the Systolic Blood Pressure Intervention Trial, or SPRINT, to identify new biologic or clinical findings. The challenge culminated in a data summit that brought together trialists, data scientists, and patients to discuss aligning incentives for sharing clinical trial data. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Dr. Jeffrey Drazen, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal. Dr. Drazen, why did the journal choose the SPRINT trial for its data-sharing challenge? What about the data or the team behind that study made it particularly appropriate for this kind of undertaking? The SPRINT trial was sponsored by the United States National Institutes of Health with the idea of changing the practice of treating systolic hypertension in people over 55 years of age. So this was a trial done in the public domain with public money. It was a very important trial because it was stopped early because of effectiveness in the group that had the systolic blood pressure lowered to a target of 120 millimeters of mercury compared to the standard of 140 millimeters of mercury. One year after the trial was published, originally in November of 2015, that is in November of 2016, the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute made the data available on a public website. We thought this was a good opportunity to give people who wanted to re-examine the data and to find new things in the data an opportunity to do so and to challenge them to teach us something that we didn't know. This was all meant to illustrate the power of sharing clinical trial data to enhance our understanding of a clinical trial. So given that, what can the results of the sprint challenge of the contest, the number and types of participants, the content of the final submissions, What can those things tell us about how data sharing would work in the real world and what roadblocks might exist? So we had 143 entries to the Sprint Challenge. There were more people who started, but in order to enter the contest, you first had to show that you could master the data set by answering questions that showed that you understood the data structure and could extract from it the correct clinical information. So that narrowed the field a little. But then we were left with 143 people that examined the data set in many different ways. Some examined it to look for risk factors that would show that even though you lowered your systolic pressure and prevented cardiovascular events, there were other adverse consequences that may weigh against them, such as renal failure or other issues such as syncope. There were other people that looked at ways to predict who would do better or who would do worse based on initial conditions or the drugs that people were taking. Other people examined the data that came in during the trial and said that people who had a marked variability in their blood pressure over the course of the trial were more likely to have a major adverse cardiovascular event than those who did not. So putting the data out in the public domain allowed many people to examine different facets of it. The data are still there, and you can look at that on our website and decide whether you think any of these really makes a difference in understanding how to treat systolic hypertension in people over 55 years of age. But I think that there's another really important issue that derives from these data. When 143 groups looked at the data, they found a few minor errors in the paper that we published, nothing that impacted on the conclusions. All the groups agreed that the SPRINT investigators, in their article that they published in November of 2015, had it right. That, in fact, patients that had lowered their systolic blood pressure to 120 target did better than 140. 
So we think that this really enhanced the public's trust in the clinical trial when so many people could analyze the data and reaffirm the major conclusions. The debate over the merits of data sharing has typically, it's been a heated discussion over the past year or so, but it's typically been seen in terms of clinical trialists versus data scientists. The journal summit also included patients who had participated in clinical trials. What did their perspective add to the conversation? The patient's perspective changed the conversation. People who listened to the people who had actually been in the SPRINT trial changed their thinking about it. One of the participants in the meeting wrote me after the meeting and said that they had originally sided with the clinical trialists in that they thought the data didn't need to be shared with anyone. But after hearing from the patients, this person said, you know, I see their point of view. We really need to include the patients in our thinking when we design the trial, when we report the trial, and when we share the data with others. So since people have put themselves at risk to be in these trials and to give us the information that we need so that we can stand at the bedside or in our offices and tell patients we know what we're doing because we've studied it, we really need to listen to their voice. And their voice was clear. Share our data responsibly. One topic that came up during the summit was the ownership of the data. What would it look like for patients to have true control and ownership over data from clinical trials? And is that even feasible? It's a very difficult question because we're not quite sure what you mean by ownership. An individual patient certainly deserves to understand how he or she fared in the trial. For example, if it was a blinded placebo-controlled trial, whether they received the active or the control treatment. But in order to analyze the data, you need to be able to see all of the data, not an individual patient's data, and you need to be able to analyze it from the perspective of the question that the trial was posed to ask. And we think that sharing with the patients the ability to ask the question, to frame the question, is really key. So they begin to participate in the process of asking the question that we're using the clinical trial to answer. And then they become part of the answer, and there isn't a fight over who owns the data, but rather we can all use it together to advance human health. In a recent editorial, you and other members of the International Committee of Medical Journal Editors, the ICMJE, lay out new requirements for clinical trials and data sharing. Can you tell us about that policy and when it will go into effect? The International Committee of Medical Journal Editors have decided that when an article is published, there needs to be a data sharing plan that is filed with the article. You need to tell people what data you're going to share, with whom, when, and by what means, and for what purpose. So, for example, if in the SPRINT trial, the investigators could have said that at one year's time, they would share the data that underlay the paper that was being published in the New England Journal of Medicine with qualified investigators for the purpose of examining the data set to see if there were subgroups in it that may change the way we would think about treating systolic hypertension in older Americans. But the key point is that the data sharing plan is in the public domain. So when the article is published, the investigators make a commitment as to what data they plan to share with whom, when, and by what means. That will go into effect on July 1st, 2018, when an article is submitted for publication. Six months later, on January 1st, 2019, when a new clinical trial is started, 
the investigators will need to file a data sharing statement where they state what data will be available as the trial progresses and when it ends, again, with whom, by what means, and for what purpose. And the idea is to put on the public record how the data will be shared. Now, the data sharing statement can be modified over time as the investigators accrue data or accrue results. But when an article is published from a clinical trial, we'll then have a data sharing plan that will go with the article. So we perceive that there will be two different entities closely related. Finally, how will these new ICMJE requirements move us closer to the ultimate goal of mandating universal data sharing? What's the road ahead? We actually don't think that there will need to be a mandate for universal data sharing. We think there'll be a desire for universal data sharing. That by putting the information in the public domain, investigators will see that this is a partnership with patients willing to put themselves at risk and data analysts gathering information to advance human health. And therefore, it will make sense to do this and that we won't have to twist anyone's arm. Rather, we'll be doing it openly and willingly because everyone will see the advantages of gathering data and sharing data in a way that makes sense from the beginning rather than as an afterthought. Thank you, Dr. Drazen.